Welcome to the latest episode of Apartment Rebels podcast, where we are all about resident and staff experience. And in most situations, I say the staff experience is actually more important than uh, the resident experience. So on our call today, uh, we have Tony Sosa. I didn't actually ask you how you pronounce your last name. So in case hey, I, I pronounced it incorrectly, let me know right away. Because yeah, we are that, that's, that's close enough. That's close enough. It's Sousa, but uh, I think you were pretty darn close to that. So it's all good. It's all good. All right, perfect. So Tony Sousa. So yeah. that's how much you know I can pronounce that. Okay. <laughs> so really excited to have Tony on the podcast. Um, so excited for a couple of reasons. I love his LinkedIn post. So I've seen a bunch of them. And uh, he's someone that I think is, you have have really good perspective on one of the topics that we are going to talk about, which is side team experience. But I think really overall uh, insight into property management as a whole and the multifamily industry as a whole. So really excited to have Tony on. And I loved for Tony to kind of go into detail about, uh, Tony, your background, how you got into property management. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on is because you have a really, really interesting background in journalism. You were a teacher, um, just a lot. And also talk about USC as a whole. So a California yeah. native uh, living in Texas right now. Yeah. So welcome, Tony. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, Jude. Uh, and uh, the feeling is mutual. I, I see what you're doing out there on the LinkedIn platform as well. I think you're really trying to spur conversation about things that maybe in our business we sometimes uh, aren't really thinking about or maybe aren't, aren't on our radar. And uh, it's awesome what you're putting out as well. So again, it's an honor to be here. Oh, awesome. Well, welcome. So I always start these podcasts to learn more about your background. So how did you get into property management? Well, I, you know, I think I have a story like everybody else. We sort of have, you know, it, you know, we fall into it. Uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, truthfully, I'll give you sort of the color behind my first job uh, in property management. I was sharing a room uh, with another acting buddy uh, and uh, actually three roommates to one apartment. And, um, wow. and I wanted to save some rents and I had an upcoming wedding coming up. Uh, and I, and my current wife who was, I was engaged with at the time. And, and I said, you know what, I could save some rent by, uh, working at the company I, I, I currently live at. And, um, and so I applied once, didn't hear back. Uh, I applied twice, uh, set up an interview. And when I arrived for that interview, the, the, um, the office was closed. They were out to lunch and they forgot about my interview. Uh, so, um, wow. that didn't, that didn't make me too happy. I thought, Oh, they're really missing out on a special guy. Uh, but I really was pretty discouraged at that time. They did call me back and we, we set up a third interview they showed up this time and, uh, they told me they didn't like my resume because I had no property management experience. Um, but they were willing to give me a shot and, uh, I got the shot and I, and I got a chance. And I think like most in this business that have been able to work their way up and through, uh, I worked really hard. I was ambitious. I, I wanted to learn everything about sales and, and property management and multifamily and my market. 
and I just worked really hard. I also had, you know, an upcoming wedding. So I'm like, I need to, you know, contribute to this household income and, and grow my career and all sorts of things. So there's a lot of motivators there, but, but I do, um, you know, looking back on it now, I'm glad I didn't just sort of leave and never come back after that second interview when the doors were closed. So yeah. that's that, you know, that's how I got my first opportunity. And, and it's been great since I've had a chance to work in uh, quite a few metropolitan markets suburban markets uh, from California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, of course, now here in Texas and uh, doing some work in Houston. Of course, now I'm in San Antonio as well. So, um, yeah. So, you know, here I am, as they say. No, I love that. I found it so interesting because I have yet to meet someone that was like, yeah, when I was a kid, all I thought about was like, <laughs> property manager. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Like, why is property management not something that a lot of people think about as a career? It's something that a lot of people just fall into. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I uh, I interview a lot of people and oftentimes, you know, I'll interview some people that tell me that their mom or their father, you know, their dad was in maintenance or their mom was a property manager. And so there's some folks that that I think have seen it in, in their family and, and thought it was a pretty cool job. Um, but a lot of people just don't know a lot about it. And for, for what reason, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I don't think it's perceived to be glamorous. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think a lot of the rules are glamorous um, at sometimes, but there's some really great components. And truthfully, the cool thing about this career, Jude, is although it may not be perceived as glamorous or get a lot of pub, uh, there's not college majors, uh, although that, I think that's changing uh, yeah. around property management. Um, the cool thing is, though, and I've never really thought about it up until this maybe point, is many people end up staying in this business uh, mm -hmm. once they're involved. And so yeah. some may argue it's sort of the dark hole, the pit you can't get out of. Uh, I would argue, I think people get involved, they realize it's multifaceted and there's a lot to it. Um, there's office component, obviously, that we're in now, but also you get out and kick the tires, as they say, and get out and walk your properties and meet with people and residents. And it was big for me as a former journalist. I, I enjoyed people's stories. And so as a sales, uh, sales consultant, I got to learn their stories and I got to empathize with them and connect with them in that way as I did a journalist. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, as, as a journalist, the goal was something different to get a story or, or put a story together or put pieces of a story together. Uh, as a sales consultant, uh, similar but different. My goal was to convince them that wherever I may have worked at the time was the best place yeah. to live. And uh, But regardless, it's about relationship. It's about stories. Um, and it's about really connecting people with maybe the information uh, and the in our business, the amenities or specifics they may need. Uh, for the next stage of their life. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a very interesting point, which actually also touches on a lot of what we are going to talk about, because it's ironic that in the property management industry, there are three parts to it. Like one, people don't really plan to get into it, but when they do, they end up staying for a really long time. But ironically, there is Forever. a very high turnover in property management, but the people that turn over still stick within the industry, either still on the property management side or they go over to the supplier side or something still within the industry. Right. So there is really something about the industry that keeps people within that industry. 
Yeah, there is. And I think we touched on a little bit of it. I mean, I think this industry provides uh, a couple of different things. The variety of life every day, uh, as well as I think there's different uh, avenues and channels that you can go within the property management multifamily mm -hmm. industry, right? You can go training, you can go marketing. You can even go sort of develop a coordinator route. Mm -hmm. um, you can go operations and management and regional management. So there's a lot of different avenues. And I think people pretty early on realize, okay, th there's a lot of different options here. And I think people like to have options in their career more than ever. And uh, I think the exciting thing with property management as well is that it's becoming more sophisticated uh, mm -hmm. with both technology and I think our colleagues around us are becoming more sophisticated, smarter. Uh, and I think um, many of us, I know me personally, love to be around that environment that only makes us better. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you kind of think about your career so far, with all those different avenues, uh, what has made you kind of stick to the operation side? Uh, you know, I've had a chance. It's a good question, Jude. I've had a chance in my career to work. Uh, obviously, we talked about the sales side, and and um, but that's conventionally the operation side. So sales and work my way up as an assistant manager and, of course, a community property manager. But I also had the privilege. I was identified fairly early in my career that I had some unique training skill ability as well as uh, some marketing skills and ability. And so I was brought into the training and marketing department uh, pretty early on in my career, probably five, six years in maybe. Uh, and I had a chance to really, this was when like social media was becoming a thing and they weren't sure if like social media manager was like a, you know, a big title or paid a lot or didn't pay a lot. I think we've all kind of figured out, you know, you know, it's, it's maybe a combination of those things. Uh, and then training, I have a background uh, also as a teacher. Uh, and so I, I love teaching and training and coaching, and, and that's what I love in my day job currently. And so I spent a couple of years in the training and marketing departments, and I learned a whole bunch. I learned a whole bunch from a lot smarter people than me, incredible trainers and great marketers. And But I, I realized uh, while being there that I think my, my best skill set and my greatest gift probably is um, – my ability to lead people uh, and I think oftentimes uh, lead them in the, um, the, the messiness that is operations at times. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I did transition from marketing and training into what I used to call sort of a professional storm chaser. So I, I became sort of this operation manager that give me your nastiest tornado and, and I'd love to go in there and, and, and try to improve it. And, and, you know, at the time I was very confident and, and many of those projects definitely humbled me because sometimes, you know, it, it takes longer than you might think to turn things around. But uh, you, you learn a lot about the fundamentals. You learn a lot about people uh, and how important people are uh, to the process of turning around. Uh, you know, maybe a, a, a asset under duress or a struggling property. And so, and that probably hits on a lot of things that you focus on is, is the people, the on-site uh, relationships you have and how to really support them in the best way you possibly can as a leader. Perfect. And then, so lots to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that. So you have kind of touched on a few things like experience with and the value of having like the marketing background, operational background, sales background, and then kind of how your experience as a teacher and then also as an actor has kind of translated into a lot of success and being identified as identified as someone that is a real like value, value add. 
So what kind of advice do you have for up and coming, like a leasing, a new lease, uh, leasing consultant that just started or property manager that is looking to get to that next level? You know, everyone's different and, and I take a lot of pride. I still interview leasing consultants in my current role, uh, especially when a property manager wants to get my, my thoughts on them. And, and any advice I would say to anyone entering the business is to be uh, completely open-minded, but at the same time, learn as much as you possibly can and, and allow that that experience that you have working with the team and the property that you're at to organically allow you to sort of navigate what you like, what you're good at, what you're not good at, um, and allow that career to sort of evolve uh, on its own. Now, you know, we've all grown up and like have your goals and, and mm-hmm. you know, have your pursuits and follow them and don't let anyone get in your way. Uh, and those are all good things to have some sort of, I think, short-term, mid-term and long-term goals to some extent. But I think you also, the advice I would give and the advice I do give is, is to be flexible and, and be willing to adapt to the circumstances that's in front of you. Uh, I've been in situations and circumstances in my career that, you know, you have to pivot or you have to kind of you know, move out of, for example, marketing or training. I felt I was better utilized in operations and I really enjoy that today. So the best advice I could really give is just continue to learn, grow, but be adaptable. And I think if we've learned anything post-pandemic is adaptability is one of the best skills that you can have both in life, personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. So imagine I'm like pretty new to property management. I don't really know much. Can you kind of explain the different roles? So what is exactly is the trainer or what's what happens on the training side? What happens on the marketing side? What happens on the operation side? So what are all sure, yeah, the options? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Uh, obviously, it's a there's a you know there's a lot of components to all of those facets, but ultimately, um, we're here to serve customers, uh, and I think that's where it starts. Uh, and our customer base is residents who live in our communities. And on the operation side, we get to have more of a hands-on role with that. On the on the sales side, leasing consultant side, you'll be interacting with both your residents and, of course, new prospects that are interested. Um, and you'll be establishing relationships um, for retention to keep them at your property. And, of course, you'll be establishing relationships to convince them that this property is the best place to live and trying to convince them on the sales side to do that. Uh, if you do an incredible job of that, you'll be able to navigate your way uh, and, and earn you know managerial opportunities, uh, assistant manager opportunities, community manager opportunities. There you can make a great impact in both um, uh, creating processes and procedures and policies uh, that help uh, help create your operation to be more efficient. Uh, and so, and you'll also be able to exercise, you know, a muscle of leadership in those different capacities. So, so as an operator, you're really in charge of a lot of different components. You'll also interact with a couple of different departments that we just mentioned, training and marketing. And I think it's important that operators, especially at the community manager level and above, fully understand really how training and marketing play into any business, but specifically multifamily. Training is there to provide an absolute support, right? Uh, If you don't have a great training department that are teaching uh, every level of your associate how to do their job best, uh, both through systems and software, but also through the soft skills of customer service and and, and leadership, then that company really, I think, is, is going to struggle for some time. And I've been a part of all different sorts of companies and all the companies, fortunately, that I've been a part of understand that training is, is, is vital uh, to the success of the operation, which ultimately is 
is connected to the success ultimately of the property and how happy residents are, and of course, how happy employees are. Now, marketing, that's a whole other thing. And I think, uh, and I think a lot of uh, individuals get scared about the, you know, that word and what is branding, um, you know, and, and I probably was a little nervous about it early on until I fully understood that it's not as complicated as you might think. Marketing, obviously, is telling the world uh, that you have a property here at this location and it's an amazing one. Right. And but there's different there's different platforms that can help you uh, tell a customer that maybe hasn't experienced uh, your property how amazing it is. Obviously, we know about the Internet listing sites and we also know about social media. We know about um, also um, the ratings and review sites as well. Those are all components of marketing, of course. And branding plays a big part in that. What is branding in its simplest form? It's it's really, you know, I've always been told it's sort of what people talk about, whether it be a property or a person when they're not in the room, right? Uh, what do they think about them? What, what what is what is their core values? How are they seen in the marketplace, both you know people or product? Um, and that's you know what your brand is known for. When I when I say Coca Cola to somebody, or if I say mm-hmm. you know uh, Southwest Airlines, I mean there's a brand reaction, emotional reaction to yeah. to. to to those companies, you either initially are drawn to that word, or if you've had a bad customer experience, you don't like that soda, or you don't like that airline. Um, and yeah. so, it's really important that I think people are aware of how important the branding component plays into operations and, of course, training, as we talked about. So, um, that was just sort of an off the top, Jude. I uh, didn't uh, have any good notes on that, but hopefully, that sort of provides some some context for anybody new to the biz. Yeah, no, it definitely did. And you touched on a couple of things that I uh, hadn't even like uh, considered or thought about, especially on like the marketing side of things, because it's so, so critical and so important. I think sometimes they get left out of the conversation, even though it's so critical. So what uh, what department doesn't exist that you think should exist in property management? <laughs> well, I think, um, I think what's happening, uh, which I'm excited to see uh, both in our company and other companies is uh, culture committees and, and culture departments are starting to grow uh, in, in importance. And, and, and what, I, what I see that is and what I envision that is taking sort of what the core mission of a company is, combining it with sort of business and, and property performance or overall business performance and connecting the two and merging those two and, and having a group of people that are dedicated to seeing and making every business decision through the prism of our core values. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if that is not something that, uh, you know, if a business decision is made not in line with our core values, that decision should be reconsidered. Uh, and I think that will help, um, you know, executives as well as uh, mid-level managers, lower-level managers understand that every decision that we make is through the prism of these values. And um, yeah. that's both with staff, residents, um, and ultimately, you know, supply partners or vendors. So everything we have, so it's great to see, I think, companies uh, like ours and, and, and others really sort of uh, understand how important that is, especially post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of things that have happened over the last 16, 17, 18 months that uh, I think smart businesses are kind of bringing everyone together, recalibrating and saying, who are we uh, in this post-pandemic economy? And so that's what I'm excited about. Uh, That's what I see happening out there. Um, 
there's a lot we could probably get into in, in other things, more nuanced uh, um, ways in property management. But I think big picture, I think that's exciting. And I think that will help the bottom line. And also overall, I think employee experience, ultimately, yeah. if you have someone overseeing this process. So on the curious case, then, is that something that Embry is looking at? And how are you guys approaching that like culture committee? And how has that translated into how you all serve your site teams or how you serve yeah. residents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it affects everything. And, and Embry recently have gone through a process of this culture committee and bringing, uh, I think, key strategic thinkers to the table to talk about who are we post-pandemic, right? We know who we were, we, but who are we today as, as the economy changes and as we grow? Uh, so absolutely, I think Embry is fully committed to that process and, and has already made you know choices and uh, set up meetings and other sort of visionary steps to, uh, to progress that. Um, and so, yeah, ultimately that's to affect every interaction at every level, whether it be with residents, supply partners, clients, owners, um, you name it, uh, those will all be affected. In, in, and I hope, and I trust in a very positive way. Yeah. So then one thing that's so interesting about all the things you've mentioned is within property management, it's not just one group or one company. So when you go about creating like that culture committee, you can do it like within Embry, but uh, for most properties you have, if it's a third party manager, you have the owner group or the asset managers mm-hmm. or the suppliers, all of which are so critical to that overall resident experience. So how do you kind of coalesce all of those different parties to create something very, um, very streamlined or oh, that's like, that has like an actual feel to it. So how do you do go about doing that? Well, I, th- I think I think the key attribute there is going to be patience and 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 an agreement upon core you know foundational principles of, of how we operate our business. Uh, and if you get all parties uh, on board and agree to ultimately the core principles of all those things, then you can operate. I think with some consistency um, and efficiency uh, in in being in line with your mission and of course your core values. So, but every situation is different, and I think you present sort of our business in a nutshell, it, it can be a can of worms. And, 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 and there's so many components to our business and so many people that are connected to our business. Um, but ultimately, I think if you have an ownership group and, and divisions within your company that are committed to the core values and the mission of the company and what we're trying to do, uh, ultimately, I think you can progress uh, down the road, not in a straight arrow, but you can progress ultimately in the direction you're trying to go. Uh, and this is, you know, it's, it's an art and a science, uh, this type of, uh, activity. And, um, and we know art and sciences, uh, can be sort of a, a very delicate, delicate process to merge. Yeah. So then do you think, uh, it's realistic? Have you seen companies do this where if their principles don't match up against like an owner, they, they refuse that contract or refuse that this, that new business. Uh, run that question by me one more time. So, um, thinking about a scenario where a property management company has like specific principles for how they operate, if those principles are not aligned with a supplier's principles or an owner's uh, principle mm-hmm. for a potential new deal, do you see property management companies starting to like turn down opportunities to get a new asset? Well, you know it. Yeah, and that's and that's where the rubber hits the road. I think it's a really good question. Uh, 
Uh, ultimately, I think what's important for, for, for management companies uh, to be sure that they're very upfront with what their core values are in those pitch uh, pitch rooms and those pitch meetings to be sure that, and also provide examples when situations arise, this is how we as a group operate. Uh, and yeah. we are in favor of our employees and in favor of our residents and we'll, we'll often give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and this is where our core culture is. Uh, you know, I can't make the recommendation to turn down business or to not take business. Obviously business is business. Um, but I do think it's really important to have that early conversation uh, about how we do business here at this particular group. Um, and if you support that and you believe in that, we would ask for your support as we uh, encounter um, situations in the future uh, that we will still make decisions out of this prism or out of this viewpoint. And we would ask for your support in that situation. Um, it, it won't always happen. You'll have difference, differences of opinions in certain situations, and you'll have to just cross those bridges as you get to them. Uh, but I think ultimately, you know, with, with companies that are, are committed to, to supporting their teams and, and their residents, um, they will, you know, in time continue to gravitate and ownership groups as well that, that really believe in that mission as well. So, and, and, and I want to believe also ownership groups, you know, across the world, across the country, uh, ultimately understand how important people are, uh, both residents, of course, yeah. I think they understand that, but also employees, how important they are to the, to the, to the core uh, of what you do in this business. Yeah, I love that. So when you kind of look at all those core functions that you mentioned, who do you think has the most difficult job? Is it marketing? Is it operations? Is it sales? You know, if I say you need department, you if I say you need department, they're going to say, "Oh, come on!" I, you know, it's my department. Um, I, you know, truthfully, being a part of all these departments, I have some unique experience having been in a marketing department, having been obviously in operations, being in training. What I will say is, every department feels they have the toughest job, uh, and uh, they always feel underappreciated. Um, and but ultimately, I think if a company is 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 uh, utilizing their key players well and their divisions are working well together. I think everybody in a perfect sort of utopian sort of environment mm -hmm. uh, feels appreciated and um, and they feel sort of uh, all together as one. Um, I, so I can't speak to who has the toughest job. I mean, ultimately, I may even argue that our leasing professionals have the toughest job. They are face to face with our customers. Uh, post pandemic, there's a lot of unorthodox things that are happening here on site um, that are, you know, we're not always prepared for. We're seeing a lot of unique situations happen, uh, good and bad. Um, but you know, I think as our country and our world sort of emerges from from this pandemic, hopefully, um, you know, our teams are encountering a lot of unique experiences. And so so uh, I'm going to vote for them. Uh, our on-site teams uh, are probably have the toughest job. Nice. And that's a really good transition to what I think is like the core part of our discussion, which is that how do we get to the point where the side teams really do feel appreciated. And what do you think that appreciation looks like? You know, appreciation is an interesting word. And, and, and truthfully, I think I've found uh, as a professional, as a husband, as a dad, uh, everyone defines appreciation a little differently. You know, I hear a book referenced quite often, and I've read it early on as a new husband, uh, you know, the five love languages, right? Make sure you know your spouse's love yeah. languages. 
Um, and I think that goes to the point that, I, that I'm making is that appreciation is defined differently for, for everyone differently. And I think that's important for us as leaders at whatever level that you may be, is to understand what means the most to each person and what means the most to each person, go out of your way to try to make them feel um, that they are valued the most. Uh, and that takes work. Um, that is the work, uh, in my opinion, that we need to be doing as leaders and as managers and supervisors is to really know our people, know what means a lot to them. So, for example, some people want accolades and they want shout outs and some people just want a quiet thank you. Uh, I know you've been working hard and sometimes your job is thankless and, and I want to say thank you. And, and that means the world to them. Whereas, you know, maybe your top sales consultant wants the world to know uh, about that. And that means the world to them. So, um, so it, it's, it's maybe not sort of a, a, a direct easy answer, but I don't think appreciation and taking care of your employees is an easy answer. Yeah. And then when you kind of think about side teams, like one thing guys speak with a lot of side team members on a very, very consistent basis. One theme that has definitely come across is that for many of them, they don't feel like they are really provided decision-making capacity or given like them are empowered to make a lot of decisions that actually impact the property, especially given the fact that they are really on the front lines. They see what's happening. They know- They have the hardest job. Yeah, yeah. So why do you think it is in property management that site with uh, that decision-making capacity? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are trusted with enough decision-making capacity. Um, well, I think a couple of things. Uh, it's a trust issue, ultimately. Uh, and I think your question is, why is it that management companies or executives or supervisors, why don't they trust their team? And I think it's a couple of reasons. Um, I'm not saying that it's necessarily right, and I'll give you an example of what we do here and what I do with my teams. Um, a, many site team members, especially on the leasing floor, have not been in the industry in an extended period of time. So, so there's an experience trust issue. Right. Do, do you know how to make these decisions? Uh, and unfortunately, in, in my type of capacity, you just get emails and calls about uh, decisions uh, that, that were made incorrectly. And so you can sort of live in this bubble of, well, there's nothing but mistakes happening uh, because that's usually often the reason I get called in as a, a regional manager is because, Tony, we have a fire or a bad decision was made. Please help us. Uh, what do we do? And so I think if, if you... If, if you get stuck in that as a supervisor and think, well, my, you know, my teams are making all these bad decisions or they can't handle issues, you know, in your own mind, if you've convinced yourself of that trust to give your teams trust, uh, sometimes will maybe be hard for you to do that uh, as well. And so I think that's a big factor, Jude, of, of why many don't feel comfortable giving uh, sometimes site level associates or leasing professionals that uh, ability to solve problems. And, and when, I think what we're talking about is monetarily uh, oftentimes, uh, right? And so sometimes certain companies I've been a part of legislate certain dollar amounts that they allow for $250 for a manager or a site team to, to make something go, go away or solve a problem, $500 in some cases, maybe it's $100 in some properties. But um, for me, it, it, 
it's really important my staff knows that when I hire you, I trust you. Uh, but I take a lot of time and effort in the recruiting and the interview process, multiple rounds that I try to vet every potential issue, especially character issue, the best I possibly can and experience issues uh, before I essentially hand them the keys to the car. Right. Um, and so um, will they be responsible with the keys to the car? And ultimately, once I decide and my managers, we work together to say, yes, they're approved. Let's give them the keys to the car. Ultimately, we're going to trust them that they can drive right safely, cautiously with their seatbelts, um, those sorts of things. So, yeah. so so it's a culture of trust that we try to start from the very beginning. And I often give trust freely early. Uh, instead of the old adage, you have to earn my trust. Um, I, I give it yeah. first. And, and and in time, if individuals uh, diminish that trust or, or breach that relationship or that trust, trust mm -hmm. it, and it happens, Jude. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't happen. Decisions are made to where then trust is compromised. But I, but I, I, I empower my teams, and I'll, I'll sort of conclude my comment with this, is – if I'm not available or you have to make a decision in the moment and you're on the fence, um, I want you to fall on the side of customer service as opposed to potential black and white policy. Right. We, we, we manage some of the, 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 the most beautiful properties in San Antonio. And, and so I, I tell you, I tell them that if you have to make a decision. You know, be mindful of the dollar amount or concession or any sort of gift you give them. Be really careful about that. But if you have to make a decision, fall on the side of customer service. Um, I could always come back to you and say, you were too nice, right? Um, uh, which, which isn't always, you know, the conversation I always have. Sometimes it's, hey, you were a little maybe rigid there. We need to try to figure out how to solve this problem for them a little bit better, right? Um, because I, I think some companies in our industry as a whole sort of lives... Uh, you know, there's nothing we can do. The policy says this. Well, the reality is usually most situations are in the gray, right? They're, they're really kind of like policy says this, but, you know, we can do a lot of this to really show, you know, we're trying to help. And, and so I really challenge a lot of my managers, especially new to, to Emory and to myself, that there's a lot of gray area that we can say yes to. Uh, don't be so quick to say no. Um, and, and that's both to employees and residents, right? Be quick to say yes and, and how I can try to make something work. And I, and I tell residents, I tell employees, listen, I'm committed to doing everything I possibly can uh, in this situation. But I, I won't be able to do what I can't do. But I promise you, I'll do everything I can with within the limits that I can. So um, I think that sets sort of a continued sort of uh, atmosphere of trust and, and a willingness to go above and beyond, which we try to train here. And, and I learned a lot about that. And, and Embry continues to really support, you know, how we can go above and beyond and what we call surprise and delight, both our employees and, of course, our residents uh, as much as we can. Yeah. I like how well you really summarize that it comes down to an issue of communication and then ultimately like trust in every way. So a fact that I was really, um, really surprised to learn recently is that in the industry, the turnover rate is about 30%. In other industries, it's just like under 15%. So why do you think there's so much turnover in the industry? Is it stress? Is it the lack of empowerment? Is it just a lot of opportunities available? Uh, like, why do you think the turnover rate is so high in the industry? You know, 
I may say something here that may be, you know, sort of property management controversial, um, mm -hmm. but I, I think it has much to do with, with at, at times on-site leadership and potential um, leadership of the on-site teams. Um, I think we are in a transitional period of understanding how important it is to support them uh, and what great leaders do to support them. Um, we often have decisions to make on a daily basis. Do I support my team members or do I, um, you know, do I write them up or do I, you know, and sometimes you have to do what you have to do based on, based on, you know, whatever activity was done or, or whatever breach in policy that was done. But I do think that we are as an industry getting better, uh, at, learning how to really support our site team members. And, and I think that has much to do with mid-level to on-site level leadership and understanding that many issues can be worked through with open lines of communication and allowing your teams to be honest and transparent with you. I invite all of my teams all the time. If they disagree with me, that's okay. If you got a legitimate point, Point of view and it's really thoughtful let's talk about it and that's an atmosphere that i think uh you know here at Embry and within my portfolio they really appreciate is their ability to sort of speak frankly um and i always ask that it's constructive and professional but mm -hmm. you can always speak honestly about what your perspective is and to be honest in in, in today's world and environment um having that free gift of being able to speak honestly uh, about what they may feel about certain things. Um, even if you don't do what they ask or follow through with their request, there's a lot of credit that you get as a leader by just simply listening and willing to hear them out. And then if you have a legitimate reason why maybe you have to disagree, convey that in, in a, in a, empathetic way in a thoughtful reply and they still will leave your office maybe disagreeing with you but at least still respecting you and i think if that's not being done consistently and and i think at times over the last couple of decades you know based on kind of what i said initially um, yeah. uh, employees don't feel heard and they don't feel appreciated and, and when employees don't feel heard or appreciated they leave um and and i don't think we need to overcomplicate this. We're all humans. We all kind of have some basic needs as professionals is to be respected, um, heard and appreciated. And if you do that, uh, your, 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 your probability of turnover, in my opinion, reduces pretty dramatically. Yeah. Yeah, really solid answer. I really do think it comes down to being like heard and knowing that you've been like treated like very professionally and that you have some autonomy to make really uh, basic or impactful decisions based on like your knowledge and skill set. And, and I'll add something to that, Jude. Um, you know, we talked about trusting your on-site team members to make decisions. Um, as a part of the culture that you have on-site or within your region or within your company is that if mistakes are made, Mm -hmm. It depends on the severity, right? I mean, there's always a variable severe mistakes or egregious ones or puts the company in complete sort of liability situation. You know, that's a whole nother sort of box. But if, if, if they're just sort of well-intentioned mistakes that, you know, was handled sort of or fumbled, um, if you as leader on site or at the regional level or, or higher up 
Mm -hmm. give them grace and use it as a teaching and coaching moment. That, in my opinion, just further supports the morale and and the atmosphere in the office that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, As long as, you know, you don't sort of put the company in jeopardy or hurt somebody. But, but if you make these little mistakes and, but you learn from them and don't make them on, you know, consistently. And that's where I think my training background comes in that I really try to support my managers to say, listen, Mm -hmm. let's give them the benefit of the doubt in this situation. They were trying to make it work, right? They fell on the side of customer service, but they were a little too customers, customer Mm -hmm. servicey, right? Or, you know, whatever we want to say, but their intention was good. And let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's coach them. Let's let them know that, Hey, maybe you offered a little too much next time. You maybe want to offer a little less, but ultimately the customer's happy. And because the customer's happy, I'm happy. And I appreciate you making that decision. So, so, you know, there's a lot to that trust component, right? You could bite someone's head off and and chop their head off and try to make a point out of them to the rest Mm -hmm. of the team. And, and in some situations you have to take severe action. Don't get me wrong, but, but in most, gray situations that happen on a daily basis here on site, it's more opportunities to coach and learn and support the culture than it is to hand slap and provide discipline at every turn. Yeah. So then kind of adding on to that for your last few um, career transitions, like what motivated you to leave? Was it just a better opportunity or was it something that happened that made you want to say, hey, maybe uh, it's the grass is greener somewhere else? And I know that's a good very personal question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I do subscribe to, uh, I try not to be cliche in any way, but the grass is greener where you water it. Okay. So mm-hmm. that, that, that I strongly believe is true, whether it be personally or professionally. So put in the work before you sort of make any ill-advised rash decisions. Um, and, but ultimately, you know, for me, um, I think like most, it, w- it was opportunity. It was growth. Uh, I try to, in every role that I'm ever in, you know, speak frankly with my supervisors about, you know, what I'm looking to do and grow. And for the most recent sort of transition was really uh, to get me to Texas. Uh, my wife's from Texas. And so, and I knew the market was growing and opportunities were, were thriving here in Texas. So, you know, seven years ago, I moved from California to Texas. And it's really been one of the best decisions I've made professionally and personally. We really enjoy it here as well. So, um, so that was a driving force. And I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, that do make transitions and, and, and make, you know, career changes are, are doing it in large part for bigger, more personal reasons than we are um, almost professional in some ways, uh, meaning you're unhappy or whatever the case is. I think most of us, for the most part, are pretty patient and understanding, even if, you know, you know things at the company don't go your way, you know, mm-hmm. to, to kind of work through that. But there's often bigger picture. And that's what I try to get to the bottom of, you know, on occasion, I, I'll get a notice as well as we all do. And, and, you know, we try to ask the more probing question get to the root of why they're moving or what's happening. And we often find, um, you know, it's a lot of personal things happening that maybe we were unaware of. Uh, yeah. and, and some things we can control and try to help with or try to keep them. And some things are just completely out of our control. And we wish them well. And sometimes it's, you know, just promotional opportunities and, and uh, you know, a salary we just can't match. And we wish them well and yeah. congratulate them on, on their opportunities. So, um, but you never know when they'll be back. And I, you know, it's, an, it's definitely a culture thing within Embry and, and within my portfolio, for sure, to, um, you know, wish them well. Well, whether in termination or in resignation, uh, we hope that they land on their feet and uh, find what they're looking for. Um, and 
you know, obviously with termination, it's a different different set of cards and conversations per se. But you know, with resignations, uh, especially if it's a if it's a great associate, we hope to see them back one day, maybe in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then, um, so looking at the things that really drive or lower retention, whether it's the trust, coaching, or appreciation, uh, what companies do you think do this really well? You know, I, I think there's a lot of companies that, that do a lot of things, but the reality is I don't think anyone really knows unless you, you actually work for those companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you could probably look at statistics and, and different things like that because you have, you know, you have companies that have great brands, but then you hear sort of horror stories about what the culture is uh, mm-hmm. as well. So, um, you know, I think you probably as an outsider, I don't know if I can probably give you the most sort of, uh, you know, best answer here i only know Embry and you know the companies that i've been a part of of course um so it's really hard to say i think you know what they're doing but i think ultimately uh great cultures uh always produce uh, less turnover and and yeah. um and, and i think they're those cultures are, are very resolute and very clear on what their core values are and operating out of those um so that essentially there's no sort of subjective decisions being made by one-off manager that's just a beast um you know no like this is not how we act as a company and this is not the type of decisions we make and you know if you have a rogue manager at any level you know hr should be aware of those folks and and, uh, recommend that they operate more in line with company values and um you know i think that's how you resolve some of those things but ultimately i think you know the best companies are the ones with the greatest cultures um Mm -hmm. and i think those companies that really focus and put resources into those cultures uh it, it will pay off from an roi standpoint in the long run and then so last question and this one is a little bit always trickier but what do you think is more important a resident experience or employee experience Uh, I actually think one leads to the other Uh, I truly think that the employee experience leads to great resident experiences and so if i was to prioritize and i think uh, you maybe support this point jude because this is a lot of i think your focus consistently is if you're taking care of your employees they're going to take care of your customers and for us in our business the, the residents so if we're doing a phenomenal job as a company doing that um our residents, our customers, at least here in property management, are going to be happy residents. And I know firsthand, even within my portfolio, the, the teams that have great cultures and very supportive with one another, um, they have some of the best aura scores. They have some of the best online review scores by far. And so it, it's hard to give great customer service when you're frustrated or bitter um, mm-hmm. on a daily basis with where you work or who you work for or whatever the case is. So I, I, think, I think companies need to recognize First and foremost, take care of your employee base. And if you do that and you're, you're creating a great environment for them to work in and feel supported, they then will in turn love to take care of their customers um, yeah. and give great customer service. And I think ultimately, bottom line, you'll see great you know revenues come from that because retention will be higher in our business. Uh, great sales, um, resident referrals will be very high. All those components of our business uh, will benefit from great customer service. That That is at, at the core um, what we do here on site. But it all starts with great uh, employee service uh, and customer service internally. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think you hit it right on the head that one leads to the other one. It's hard not Absolutely. to have one and the other one. Uh, so yeah, I've never, seen, I've, 
Yeah, I've never seen a, I've never seen great uh, aura scores from from uh, you know a property that you know they hated each other and had a ter- terrible you know culture. So, yeah, one leads to the other for sure. Yeah. This was super helpful for me, Tony, and I'm sure the listeners also loved all the perspective. So thank you so much for being on our latest podcast. Uh, any yeah. closing words, Miriam? No, I just, uh, I love where our industry is going. I love that we're really, uh, I think, embracing multimedia. I love that you're doing that as well. I love your voice out there. I try to reshare some of your stuff that's really, I think, challenging our leaders in our business to kind of rethink some things uh, and, and really, I think, innovate and think differently. Um, and uh, I think that's a great thing, man. So so I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, super grateful that you, you thought of me and uh, had me on today. And it's great to take a little time out of my day to speak with you. Awesome. That was super awesome.